2024 Do Not Go Quietly is partnering with Osseo Gear. Osseo is backed by over 30 years of bow hunting experience, and it shows. From the one-of-a-kind patented Osseo Raptor camo pattern that blends seamlessly into the whitetail woods, to the features and technology that set Osseo Gear apart, Osseo is designed to meet the unique needs of bow hunters. I ran Osseo the entire season this past year, and from the 100-degree temperatures of the South Carolina swamps, which are brutal, to the teens of the Southern Illinois rut, Osseo had me covered. They have a layering system that covers you from every season to every temperature to every weather pattern. Osseo gear is backed by a lifetime guarantee. And if you use the code do not go 20, you can take 20% off the entire Osseo gear catalog. Elevate your game with Osseo. Mission Whitetail. What's up, brother? Hey, man. Glad to be here. <laughs> this is going to be fun. We just spent 20 minutes trying to get the camera to work. All you got to do is take the batteries out and tap it with a hammer, and you're good to go. Well, I'm glad you were here because I was about to throw it through a freaking wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's always plan three. Right? Get, yeah. get really pissed and throw it through the wall. Yeah, that that's does the plan. it. Yeah, that does it. So the reason I wanted to have you on, obviously um, – we're friends. I've run your gear all year, which as a first year bow hunter, I need every bit of help I can get. And honestly, like I got through every piece of temperature there is, you know, which is awesome. Like I love your stuff. You got to make some solid, some more solid so I can take it out West next year. Yeah. Oh yeah. On we, my elk hunt. we can do that. No, I'm glad to hear it. I'm, I'm glad it went well and, and, and kept you warm. I actually had to go in the swamp this morning to pull a bunch of trail cameras. Yeah. We got a huge flood coming. We got all that rain yesterday yep. up in the upstate. And so all those rivers are dumping into the Congaree and it's going to flood. It's going to get to not a record flood, but a big one. And so I was in there at daylight running around on my four-wheeler, you know, 36 degrees, running 20 miles an hour. I had on the Sherpa bibs and Sherpa jacket. And yeah. I was toasty. It, it's, dude, it's, <clears throat> they're warm. I like, I, there was one morning, I think the coldest morning I was out this year was, it was like 23 one morning yeah and i i went out that morning because it was mornings had been good where i was trying to get and i did i actually got hot because i was i had to i didn't have everything set up i had i had a saddle set up and i didn't have multiple setups yet um and i actually got hot because i had i was running the midweight hoodie the sherpa vest and then i had the late season jacket Ooh, on yeah yeah, That's once serious. I got up there, I was good because it got cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I imagine with that that late season jacket on, you were mighty warm, dude. That thing is warm. Yeah, I wore that up in Illinois too when I went up to Southern Illinois. Oh yeah, and I had to take the vest off because I was just hot. And that was a heck of a buck. Oh, that was my first buck I ever shot. Uh, it was in a good one too, <laughs> a really good one, and it looked like you ten ringed him. It looked like you hit him perfect. I did. It was kind of crazy. Like I, you know, I've. I struggled so much down here in South Carolina the whole year. It's so weird because I went up there, obviously. I can't remember. I think it was it was either Adam Hayes. It was somebody you had on one, one of your podcasts. It was like, you can't shoot big deer where there aren't big deer. Oh, right? That's true. Yeah. And so I, I made a mistake this year, picked a bad piece of property, um, tried to make the best of it. But I got up to Illinois, and you know, I, I saw more deer in a day and a half, and I, I killed him on my third sit my my there's a my cousin's got 
this it's about 110 acres yeah. of ag right with a nice piece of wooded property sitting up behind it and a creek running through it so it kind of has everything and yeah, then a nice little funnel through there yeah nice little funnel through there and then there's a set of railroad tracks that are behind it with a big bedding area and right around that area there's like this kind of circular edge to the cornfield where they can kind of come in and feed but they're protected yeah kind of hidden mm-hmm. yep yeah so my my cousin had killed a pretty good one there about three weeks before that and when i got there um i i hunted a couple other areas like morning and afternoon i got up the the, the first time i went there i got up at three in the morning drove all the way to southern illinois so i could sit in the afternoon nice nothing I saw a bunch of stuff, but it came in on the other side of the cornfield. Then I got out the next morning, had a nice eight point that caught my wind, like right in the creek bottom. He was like halfway across, and he spooked, sat still, right? And I was like halfway across with my bow. So I sat, literally sat there for like four minutes, and my arm was about to start shaking. Yep. And then he finally like looked up and busted. Yep. And then that afternoon, I went and hunted that area. My, my, they've got a stand-up blind sitting on about an eight-foot, you know, platform platform yeah. right in the middle of that area. And the wind was not good, but I was in there, and I got in there early at, like, one. And um, he came through right at, like, last light, which there was about 4.30. And you're right. I, I arranged the whole kind of corner of it, and coming in at the corner was about 46 yards. And so, but if I if he fed around, he was going to get to about 32. And that's what, that's what he did. I just kind of waited and waited and waited. And to be honest with you, I don't remember any of it. Like I remember him doing it, but I don't remember the like pulling back oh, or it's, anything. It's, like, it's magic, man. It, it's it insane. Is, it is when you see that era disappear in the right spot. I mean, it, it's a it's a feeling that I mean, you know, Jack, my son, got his his first yeah. buck this year with a mm-hmm. bow, and he 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 called me at, right after he shot it, and and I was at a dinner party or something. I left the party immediately and went straight down there to help him. And uh, that gave me an excuse to get out of that. You're place. like, thank you for getting <laughs> yes. me out of the dinner party. And I said, Natalie, see you later. I'm out of here. <laughs> and um, he was still shaking in the tree when I got there. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it has that kind of power. I mean, it's primal. It's, it's what our ancestors did. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just, and, and we're still men, right? I mean, we still hunt and we still do our thing. And, and it, it's, it's a magical thing. It's incredible. It is. I mean, I'll, the interesting thing was I didn't get shaky, right? I do my, now I think part of this may be just athletics and haven't done a lot of like competitive stuff, but as he kind of came in and around, cause I was doing the swivel thing, you know, like checking one side, checking the other side. Cause he could have fed in from either side. I'm over here. There's nothing. All of a sudden I swivel back around and dude's there. And, and right then my heart rate started going, yeah. But I recognized it, right? And as he fed around, I kind of like, I took deep breaths through my nose. I kind of did what I used to do during athletics and got my heart rate back down. And it was fine, you know, other than I don't remember it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you made a great shot and it's a great buck. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's incredible deer for your, for your first one. So congratulations on I that. I appreciate again. it. Yeah, for sure. Well, part of that comes from, you know, listening to you and, you know, you're, the advice that I got from you and, you know, a couple of other people that helped me was like, you need to shoot all spring, all summer, 
get proficient inside of 40 yards. Yeah, I mean, it, and it, that's what I did. That's and that's a controllable, right? Right. I mean, anything you, you the deer has a say, right? You, you yep. can't make him do something, but everything. So you can't control that, mm -hmm. but you can control the other stuff. When, where, how you can control those things. Yeah. And shooting is a big part of that. Yeah, and that's it was. I was actually surprised at where. <laughs> Not surprised because I, I knew where I wanted to shoot him, but I kind of, you know, it's my first one. So I was like, is this going to go? Because I had actually missed one in South Carolina, right? I had had a nice eight point come in 30 minutes before light at all. It was pitch black, yeah. but I could just see his antlers underneath me. And he was feeding on a corn pile 16 yards from my stand. And I was just sitting there waiting for him, waiting for the light, waiting for the light, waiting for the light. And it, it was gray light, and I still couldn't pick him up in my pee part. And he was done eating. He had chowed the corn, and he was moving out, you know? And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to either watch him walk away or I'm going to take a chance. And so I just basically planned to shoot low. Mm -hmm. That way I was like, if I miss him, I'm going to miss him low, yeah. right? Yep. If I don't miss him, then I'm going to hit him right where I want to hit him. Sure. And But I still couldn't pick – I was trying to pick the white up in my peep and I couldn't do it. Like I was basically trying to eyeball it and I missed him low. I put, put it right underneath him. Are you, um, are you shooting? I'm looking at your bow right now. Yeah. Is it a three sixteenths peep? Do you know the, the diameter of it? It looks like it from here. I think it's a three eighths. So I that, think. that would be, that would be bigger than a three. It was a three sixteenths at the time. I okay. made it a little bit bigger. Yeah. I mean, three sixteenths is no, that's what I, I shoot. And normally yeah. I can get, you know, if, if I can see my pins, I can see through the peep. But, mm -hmm. but um, you know, everybody's eyes are, are a little bit different. Yeah. And I got old man eyes. What the crap is that? We got um, bells going off. Right? I know. You're, you're a busy man. I saw those I, e all those work emails. They're not even pulled up. Like, I don't even – I'm trying to get it turned off anyway. Um, <clears throat> so, that was the deal. But, yeah, that first buck was crazy. Like, I can't believe – that that's what I got for the first go yeah. around. And a lot of that's the help that you gave me, man. It was like just you being on speed dial was super helpful. No, I, I, I love it. You know, we're, we're in it together and, <laughs> and, uh, we're all hunters. So that's, that's, uh, it's good stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely a challenge picking it up at my age. It, it is. And you know, it's, you know, I was thinking about this when I was riding over here, you know, with, with football, you know, you, you haven't been an elite level coach, you can you can kind of train people right how to block how to do this you know there there are rules to it yeah and and so there's a system and, and there is with hunting as well but it it's really you say there there are rules and their principles but they're always changing that's the thing about hunting is it's the, the consistency is it's inconsistent the deer are always doing weather's got them doing something the heat gets them doing something you know it's it's completely different all the time and the the only way to really figure it out is to go and do it yeah you know to make a plan we, we talked about this yep. i think the first time we we had lunch and talked about it was make a plan execute it if it doesn't work learn from it if it does work file it away and go okay that worked for this situation mm -hmm. and, and so yeah I, to me that's how and to this day i still do the same thing i try to devise a a, a common sense plan and then execute it, and if it works, great. And if most of the time it doesn't work, yeah. And that's that's part of bow hunting. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing too is, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yours is one of them. And one of the challenges, like it's 
hunting's different down here than it mm. is up in Illinois, right? And most of the stuff that people are recording is Illinois, Ohio, Kansas, Iowa, and it's not the same. It, it's it, we, Don Higgins and I talk about this all the time, and he will agree that hunting in the South and these big woods, these big timber blocks, these these big swamp bottoms, there's no funnel. There, there's a million different places they can go. They've got food everywhere. There's no temperature really change that cr- makes them do something crazy. If you can kill four- and five-year-old bucks in South Carolina, you can kill anything on the planet. I mean, it, it is it is hard because and, – and I let me premise that with, with a bow. Mm-hmm. You know, because our rifle season comes in August 15th. <laughs> that doesn't make it any easier No, either. it goes to – Because they're getting shot at from the minute we're – Yes. You know. That, that, and you can shoot five bucks. Right. So it, it, is, a, it is a great state to, to cut your teeth. Because if if you start knocking down one or you know a, a buck every other year in South yeah. Carolina, mature deer, man, you, you take those lessons and go to a Kansas and Illinois and Iowa, man. It, it, certainly, a, a five six year old buck out there is a smart deer, and, and you got to be sharp. But it is a lot easier to hunt out there than it is here. Yeah, I I've, I know nothing. Like I I know more than I did last summer, but that's I've found that to be the case. That was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you was. So you, you like to hunt swamps. That's a big part of what you do, right? Yeah, yeah I, I just I think it's because I, 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 that's where I started. When I was five years Michael Eden's a mutual friend of ours. Yep. Um, I hunt his, his farm, and he and I have been best friends since we were two years old. And that's where I shot my first deer in that swamp. And I, I just love it because I grew up there. I mean, if, if you shoot 130, 140-inch deer out of there, it, it's going to be – like over the moon big you know you're you're looking at 115 to 125 is kind of their standard mature buck and they're just different animals they're so spooky and they're so hard to get on with a bow that it's it's the challenge is is incredible and so i I, yeah i love it i love it so do you i know the swamps are super thick and i know the bedding's really good how do you work around the challenge of you know if you're in a normal i won't say normal but you know like some of the spaces up in Illinois that I know my family have, they've got pretty defined water sources, right? Like, okay, you know, he's, if he's going to drink on this property, he's going to go here, here, or here. They got water everywhere in the swamp. Oh yeah. And like yeah, you yeah. said, there's no clearly defined funnel. So it, like strategically, what's your strategy when you approach that? Yeah. So I run a ton of trail cameras. Ton meaning how many? Ton of, uh, I, I, <laughs> Well, I, I pulled six out this morning, and I pulled fifteen out Saturday. Okay. So that that's, but that, that's also thirty two hundred acres of property. That's a big piece. Okay. Yeah. So Michael and the, Michael, they have twenty two hundred acres, and then um, next door, I'm, it's a club that I'm a member of, and it's a thousand or twelve hundred acres. So mm-hmm. it's about thirty two or thirty four hundred acres right there. It sits right next to each right other. Right next to each other. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's really easy to access both of them. Um, so, so the answer to your question is I focus almost solely on edges. You'll, you'll have hardwood meets cutover meets planted pines. And when you say cutover, how do, well, how do you find cutover, cutover in, in it, South Carolina? Yeah, yeah. Cutover in South Carolina is obviously where they've come in and logged. They've, mm-hmm. they've cut all the timber out and it's probably got at least two years of growth somewhere between two and, say, eight or nine years of growth. Once it gets back to 10 years, it starts opening up some. 
Um, but those real thick four or five year old having been logged areas are big, super thick bed bedding areas that are almost okay. impenetrable. I mean, we, we've walked through them, you know, chasing hogs and stuff and having to track deer because that's normally where they go when you shoot them. Uh, so they're, they're tough to get in they're, I mean, like you, you, a lot of areas you have to turn backwards and back through the briars and stuff. I mean, they're, they're thick, thick. What if you don't have any cutover? What if you've basically got a swampy area that basically butts right up against ag? Again, that's that's an edge, right? So yeah, I, I you've look still got at an edge. I still look at look at those edges. They're they're creatures of the edge. They 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 love those edges, and that's normally where they stage, or where you'll find rub lines, or where you'll find scrapes along those edges. And then you can you can literally, and I'm going to be working on this some in March. You can tighten those up on those edges. You can go in, and if you have permission, you can, you know, they call it hinge cutting or drop some trees, you know, in in a row. They they're they'll go right through that, but they're they're lazy, mm-hmm. especially the bigger deer. They they want to go past of least least resistance. So if you've got some you pile up some brush piles or you hinge cut some trees to tighten those funnels up, and then put cameras in those funnels, you know they'll walk right through that because it's easy. And then you can set stands up on either either side depending on wind, and then you've got a spot. And when you do that, are you basically trying to create a funnel from the inside of the swamp towards the field edge. Yeah. Like well, basically trying to create a place for them yeah, to make it, them walk. They'll a lot of times they're going to come out, especially a mature buck in the lowest part of the field. And the reason for that in the afternoons, they're going to come out of that lowest part because the thermals in the evenings drop. And in that lowest part of the field, they're going to come out right there because that's where all the all the thermals are going to end up in that hole and he can smell everything right there in the lowest part it's not always the case but a lot of times that's a rule of thumb is is that a big mature buck is going to take advantage of terrain and with the lowest part of the field if it's going into the swamp that's a good spot and i bet if you go into that area you're going to see big older if there's a mature deer in there you'll see big historical rubs like old ones with some fresh ones and maybe a scrape or two right there and then you know it'll be a a big maybe 100 yard wide area that he could come out and so you can tighten that up Mm -hmm. with some hinge cutting or or piling some brush up you know or or some guys have even gone so far as to put in some removable fencing you know that you can put those in like some cattle panels and stuff and just kind of space those in there and then get your cameras in there and you can see if he's coming out of there and you're, you're tricking him to, to tighten him up to where you can get an air in him. So you're leaving it. How big are you making that space? Cause obviously if you make it too tight, I would think if you make it too tight, he can just walk on oh, the yeah, yeah, side yeah, of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. what's the, yeah. what's the width so, of that? So it, kind it, of planning it, it? You, you have to look at it and see, Yeah. Um, you, you know, there's, you want to be able to shoot it. So the, the rule of thumb is that through your funnel, you know, you want 70% of the deer you see to come through your funnel or you don't have a funnel. If, if, they're, if you're just seeing them walking out through the woods and you're not in the right spot. So if you tighten that funnel up to, you know, 50, 60, 70 yards, and then, you, you, you know, you put your stand 20 yards inside the edge of the funnel, then, you know, you can shoot all the way across or if you've got a, a stand on both sides. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, it's, it's all dependent. Like I've got one that's about 50 yards and I can, I, I have to get a tree in a tree cause it's the only tree that is maybe 20 yards in the thicket. 
you know, it's actually in the thicket. Okay. But they're going to come down that edge, and it's a little far, so the opposite side from where my stand's going to be, I'm going to hinge cut and pile up some stuff just to force them a little bit. But, see, that's only – it's only about a 50-yard gap, and I'm, I'm going to push that gap down to about 20 yards. But I'm still – I'm off of it. But you're basically saying this is a high-traffic area to begin with. That's why I know they're coming through here. Exactly. Because right. if you just set up a funnel in a place where they're not already going, y- yes. it d- it's not going to do anything. For no, you, no, right? no. You, you, you find the quote unquote edge or the funnel that's a high traffic area, mm-hmm. and then you tighten it up. Okay. And, and you know, South Carolina is a bait state, right? We, we can put bait out. Ohio, Kansas, all those are bait states. Guys use bait. And, and you can use that to your advantage. I mean, you can, you can put the bait pile way out in the field, right? That, that, your funnel leads to, so they come through your funnel going to the bait. You, you know, you can certainly do that if you want to. Um, you know, in, in the swamp, we've got a bunch of white oak ridges. We've got uh, sawtooths. We've got honeysuckle, muscadines. And, and when you find those places historically where they feed at different times of the year, th- there's a way they're getting there. And most of the deer are coming from the same area, and so you can you can tighten those up when it gets close to those to those feeding areas. Mm-hmm. So it, it, again, yes, you, you hit it nail on the head. Is high traffic areas, you just tighten them up. And then when you, uh, I know that the, the baiting thing is a question, but in South Carolina you can bait, so it is what it is, right? So when you do that, are you have have you found any difference in terms of setting up an actual feeder? that like feeds at a specific time in terms of the strategy, or is it more, do you feel like it's more uh, that it works better to go out and dump a pile? So it, it, it all depends on the pressure of the deer in, in South Carolina, you know, where we hunt you and I both, where we hunt down there in the, you know, on that bluff road area, mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of pressure there. Yeah. Um, you, I do not see a lot of mature bucks coming to those feeders in daylight. Um, guys that are successful with baiting and killing, you know, bigger deer, they normally scatter it and they'll scatter it thin around those already natural food sources. Like they'll go to the white oaks or the pin oaks or, um, the cherry bark oaks or whatever they've got, the sawtooths, and they'll, they'll sprinkle in those areas. Just to give them some more diversity in yeah, that area yeah. where they're already or, going. Or, and constant food, <clears throat> constant, yeah. constant food. So that, that is a strategy guys use. And then, you know, they'll be, you know, in a, in a simple world, there'll be a cutover where they're bedding Mm -hmm. and then there'll be a a grove of feed trees and they're coming from the cutover to the feed trees. And then your job is to find the intersection point, because if you set up on the feed trees, which you can do, it's, it's the rut. It can work because they could come through there any time of the day. But early season, like when they when they first start feeding on it, they're not going to get there until right at dark. So what happens if you're sitting right on top of the bait or right on top of the feed trees, you're sitting right on top of them, and five or six does come in and feed and it gets dark. And the buck's 150 yards away. He hasn't come in yet. Yeah. And then you've got to climb down and get out of there, and you're going to blow up the whole thing. Whereas if you were back off of that, you know, two or 300 yards – and stuff comes through, the buck doesn't get through or whatever. You know, all the does are up there feeding, the younger bucks are up there feeding. You're able to climb down and sneak out of there, and nobody's to the wiser. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I learned that one the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you know the spot I hunted, it was pretty small. 
Yeah. And like you said, there was nothing really living in there. They were coming from the other side of the road. So they were trafficking through because there was some some food source out in the field. And they were, I think there were a couple, there weren't a lot, but there were a few trees that were dropping acorns that they hit at a certain part of the year. And so I, I found a couple funnels that were natural. They just kind of were using them and, and they were getting trafficked, but I, um, I obviously set up too close cause I got busted. Like I probably got busted five times. Oh, well, and, I mean, at least. And, and so the deer in South Carolina are spooky. You know, there, yeah, stuff, I've heard that. Like, I've yeah, heard people say that that they're super twitchy down here. They, they're very, very twitchy, and they will, they will do everything, especially on in in feeding areas, bait piles. They're going to get downwind of that. Yeah, and you know, you're you're setting up downwind of that as well, where they're getting behind you. That's I, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. I thought, okay, I'm set up right for the wind. You know, I got I'm downwind of it so i'm not you know the bait piles up here i'm downwind and they got behind every you. time i'd be you know they they come right in behind me yep yep so, so so you gotta you gotta the, set up different the, right? the strategy is okay you give them that right exactly you, you, you give them that and you if if you're normally setting up 20 yards from the bait pile so you got a shot set up 80 yards you know, 80 yards from it, and then they'll loop downwind of down it, and then, and then they're 40, you know, 40 yards in from you. Yeah. Um, and you're able to, you're able to get out of there without them, you know, 80 yards is too close, but you, you, you see the idea, mm -hmm. you know, you, you're going to want to set up way off of that feed. So 80 is too close? Depending on the thick thickness of the property. Mm -hmm. I mean, climbing out of a stand, you, you know, 80 yards away from a mature buck is pretty sporty <laughs> especially one here so if you're set but if you're setting up on a field edge like or not on a field edge but close to that edge um and and you don't have like i mean that swamp area that i've kind of shown you right it's not super wide it's i mean i'll have to map it because i just started looking at it but i mean i could almost see from one side of it through to the other side because there's ag on both sides of it yeah. it's just long and skinny and it's kind of thick and nasty in the middle but those edges are you know there's not a ton of space off of them so what would you do in that situation yeah so you, that, that that's a tricky one because you're setting up on the field edge and all the deer are going to end up out in the field then you got to climb down and get out of there and you're going to blow it up right or do you set up in the middle in the middle facing of, towards the field edge in the middle of the swamp yeah I, I think i think i'd have to look at it to get a real good feel for it but, Which I'm planning on having you do. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, <laughs> I'm, we'll, gonna, I'm we'll, hauling your ass out there. This no, we'll do it. Because <laughs> otherwise, I'm going to be like, "What the hell am I doing?" No, out you, you, you're, you're, you're getting it dialed. But yeah, so the, you can set up. You know, if again, if it's skinny like that, and they're they're coming through the the end of it. Let's say I, I don't I don't have the vision of the property, but let's yeah. say it's like a like a like a cul-de-sac mm -hmm. or or a peninsula. That's what it looks like—a long peninsula okay, with, right. cat, with ag on both sides. Okay. Of it. Yep. So there you go. So you got a long peninsula, and how how far apart is it? I mean, just just ballpark. It's a hundred yards. Uh, I bet it's probably. No, I bet it's like probably three hundred yards. Three hundred yards. Yeah, that's right. a guess. Yep. But... So so if you go in there, you're gonna see there's especially February when all the leaves are off. You, you know. Yeah. You, you'll be able to see. A, a defined trail of how they come out of there. And then what you can do is you can, you don't have to hunt right on the point of the peninsula. 
you can you can come in maybe 80 100 yards all right so where are they i'm looking at your map here where yeah. where are they coming out so that where i've got that marked right there yeah that's now again this is just first time in looking at it you know probably three or four times they're coming from that i, I don't know where they're coming from because i don't have cameras up in there other than one they're coming out right there where that stand is into that field there's a big traffic area on there's a huge like rock pile in, yeah, like right at the edge of the field in the swamp, and they traffic out on both sides of the rock pile. So, so if it was me, I would I would probably come in from this side and get a get a southeast wind, come in from this side, from the opposite side, from of where the you're trying to set opposite up. side, and I'd tighten this up. Whoops, sorry about that. I'd tighten this up with some. I don't know if you're allowed to cut trees. If you're not, you can just get logs and brush piles throw a bunch of crap in there yeah th throw natural stuff in there and i'd come in from the opposite side where i can shoot out and then hopefully they're coming in from this way yeah now i gotta go look at the other side because i don't even know what the traffic pattern is there yet that's part of why like you said i gotta i gotta figure out you know that's what part of what wanting to take you in there is like figuring it out there's a huge marsh right down here at the bottom yep and so huge yeah i'm guessing you know they'll especially when it's hot they'll bet around that probably around that and then water. travel up yep to the food in 2024 do not go quietly is partnering with osseo gear osseo is backed by over 30 years of bow hunting experience and it shows from the one-of-a-kind patented osseo raptor camo pattern that blends seamlessly into the whitetail woods to the features and technology that set osseo gear apart Osseo is designed to meet the unique needs of bow hunters. I ran Osseo the entire season this past year, and from the 100 degree temperatures of the South Carolina swamps, which are brutal, to the teens of the Southern Illinois rut, Osseo had me covered. They have a layering system that covers you from every season to every temperature to every weather pattern. Osseo gear is backed by a lifetime guarantee. And if you use the code do not go 20, you can take 20% off the entire Osseo gear catalog. Elevate your game with Osseo. That's interesting. So I've been listening to you quite a bit and we talked a little bit about it today, but you, you said that you didn't used to like, you used to be a little bit more of an early season guy and you're kind of developed this love for the rut. Yep. recently, mm -hmm. which is interesting because I hear like, again, I'm, I'm pursuing this or looking at this from a new guy's perspective. And when I listen to a lot of people, they almost make it sound like, um, like the rut is like the guy who, you know, doesn't really know what he's doing. And that's a good place for you to go hunt. But you know, the real hunters are the ones killing in October and September. Yep. But I know you said Bobby Worthington, like that's pretty much his thing is he hunts the rut. Absolutely. And um, I don't know. I think like there's something that's just more exciting about it to me as a new guy. And it's not just that I think you can kill easier, but because I know it's different. You, the, A lot of the planning or different kind of planning goes into it, right? It's not the I'm targeting that one buck specific movement and I know he's going to do this like you do in September, October. How How are you looking at a, after kind of talking to him and looking at it differently this year, how do you approach the rut differently than you maybe would have in the past? Yeah, so the, the issue is, and 
I'm going to rub some folks the wrong way here, and that's all right. Um, the, the, the issue is a lot of guys use their September-October tactics during the rut. They're trying to hunt bed to food. All right, they're saying, I know where this buck is bedded, and he, he's going to come out and hit this scrape, and I'm going to shoot him right here. Mm-hmm. And that looks good on paper. But, the, I mean, you can look at some of the the studies that guys have radio collar deer and see mm-hmm. how many different places they bed. They're actually more consistent bedding um, in in the November areas than, than they are when, in, in October and September. Now, again, it's all terrain yeah. driven, but where these studies have been done. And, and so uh, backing up just a hair, my mistake that I was making during the rut, I still, I killed a lot of deer during the rut. Um, and I killed them on edges and I killed them on scrapes and I killed them on food plots. You know, they'd come out there to check for does and I killed a lot of them like that. And when you were doing that, was your strategy that you were hunting what you thought was a funnel at the time or were you like i've heard my my cousin this may be too simple but the guy's been killing stuff for a long time he's like i just hunt does yeah in the rut he's like now obviously you got to know where they're going and where they're traveling but he's like if you know where they are you're gonna know where the bucks are yeah yeah the the, the issue is how do you make sure he's in range right because yeah. they're, they're running and they're you know they're they're a big food plot they can come out there you're you're hunting with a bow so I thought I knew what a funnel was, right? And, and, and I had a good idea. But when you get with somebody that is a quote-unquote expert rut funnel hunter, you start seeing what a real funnel is. So what did you think it was yep. versus what did you kind of, over the course of this season, determine that it really is? Like an hourglass on a property where, where timber, th- this is what I thought. Okay. Like an hourglass on timber, you, you know, you'd have right like in the a, middle. a big block and then it shrinks down to a 75 yard stretch of timber. And then it blows back up to another 150 acre. And you know, that, that would be a pinch, right? Okay. They and you just figured they're going to travel here because yes. they've got cover and right. Right. And, and, and so that was, that was the mistake that I was making during the rut. And why is that not a funnel? It, it is. It, okay. it, it is. It is a funnel, but it, it's not a, a, dictate that everything has to come through there okay they can still go out across the field they They can can walk the field edge absolutely right i got you a real funnel has a structural feature they cannot get around like a giant bluff Mm -hmm. or or a huge ditch crossing or something you know a lot of times they don't want to walk through it They, they will if they have to but but a real long range travel funnel is connecting big blocks of woods and then somewhere along there is some natural bluff uh, river something that they are not wanting to cross or they can't cross and that's where you will find the spot that you need to be in is where that particular structure is located that's where the spot will be and I, I I didn't have that fully developed and so when I when I went out and went with Bobby we went and walked a huge block of woods what state is he in he well we were in Kentucky he, okay. he lives in Tennessee gotcha we went and walk, walked a huge block of woods and he he said man I I wouldn't hunt here it's 1200 acres of hardwoods and western kentucky near the illinois border i mean and and it's just wide open yeah it's just wide open they can woods. go anywhere 
Yeah. And, 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 you know, there was just like I said, some hourglass mm -hmm. stuff and we go and there'd be a trail through there and he ho-hummed it. And I said, all right, well, let's go look at my, the 80 acre place that I have access to hunt. It's got a huge river bluff. And we went in there and it was March before, before the green up, we went in there and we get started walking down the deer trails. And he's like, we're, we're here. He said, we need to tighten this up, but we're, we're here. And we got up to the bluff and he said, this is it. And the bluff was, like, it's a it's a big river that runs underneath it, okay. And, and then it's a, like a, just a giant bank off the river. On one, and then it's more kind of hardwood flat on the other side of the river. Hardwood flat on the okay. yes. And there were seven or nine trails that all came to that bluff, turned into one trail, dipped down the other side where they could walk, and then the trail split back up. Mm -hmm. And that's we, the funnel. That's the funnel. And that, that identifying the funnel is the key. We don't have that necessarily here. I was going to say, when you go up north to some of the, and when I say up north, I mean the Midwest yeah. or Pennsylvania or some of those areas that have, you know, big bluffs and ridge lines and stuff like that, that they, they have naturally occurring funnels. It's flat down here. Flat down here. So, and I know you, you can fell trees and do some of that, but I mean, how do you, that's a much bigger challenge, right? Like, it, it is. I mean, I, I chased a, a 10 point in the swamp all season and I got pictures of him almost not every night, but at least once a week on different cameras throughout the property. Very rarely would I get daylight pictures of him. And, and I did have one quote unquote funnel. They've got a duck pond down there that they fenced in. So the hogs can't get in there. So it forces the deer around the, the point of that duck pond and I got to stand right there. And if you ask Bobby, he would have said, you should have parked your butt in and that tree in that stand every, every day. single day. And guess what? He would have walked by it. Somehow. I got an eight 30 AM picture of him on a cold Saturday morning. It was one of the only daylight pictures I got. And, and, and I was in Mexico. I wasn't, mm -hmm. I wasn't here. So, but, but if, if I had to put the laws of averages, you know, he lives in this area. This is a good travel area. There's a lot of food. There's a lot of does in here. If I every time I had had a south wind, if I'd sat in that stand every single chance I could have to hunt it, I would have killed that deer. And you wouldn't. You don't think hunting that stand over and over and over. I know even if it was a, it was the right wind, you don't kill that stand as long as you so, got a good entry and exit. You think so it's the, good to keep hunting it over and over. The, that's a question that I have. Like, yes. I and I don't. I'm not assuming the answer, but that's something I hear. Yep. People talk about all the time. So what's your thought on so, that? So absolutely valid if you do not have the right access and more importantly, the, the, the ability to exit. So I actually put a climbing stick on a fence post inside the duck pond. I would climb over the fence and up a tree. So there was zero. I mean, I'm talking the tree is five feet from the fence. Okay. So there was zero chance of a deer ever getting downwind of me. They could not get downwind of me. Makes sense. They couldn't get in the duck pond. So I can slip, I can walk in the duck pond, climb the fence, climb up the stand and sit right there every day, as long as I have a South wind and I'll never burn that spot out. So you walk through the pond, through the pond, there, waiters. There, no, there's a, there's a levee on the side okay, of it gotcha. that the fence is on. Okay. So I can walk on the inside of the fence mm -hmm. And they don't flood it until later in the year anyway. Okay. Till, till yeah. de December because of duck season. Okay. So let's say you don't have that, right? Let's say you've, like, 
we're talking about well, it's swamp or whether you're down here and you've got you know hardwood with ag kind of everywhere yep. but no naturally occurring it's are we really back to the same conversation you got to figure out where they're already going and then try to create some kind of that, funnel that, within that. that that's exactly right and then i'm going to have multiple of them and i'm not going to blow them up it's yeah. not something i'm going to sit every single day that makes sense that, that's exactly right okay that's good okay so that that's it that's good stuff because that's a lot of the stuff that I've been kind of processing in my head. And, and it's interesting, especially as a, as a young, new hunter, you know, when you listen to a lot of people who've hunted for a long time, talk about geographical advantages and you like when I left here and I went to Southern Illinois and it was like, okay, I've got this flat ag. I've got a, you know, uh, a little brush line. I've got a Creek. And then I've got a big ridge that's probably 50 feet high. And now you can really start to think about thermals and, you know, okay, here's like that. There's two ridges that poured right down into the middle that went into the Creek. And that's where they all crossed the Creek. Like that stuff's at least to me more intuitive. Yeah. You know, and easier to figure out. It, it is, it is flat. much, much, much easier to figure out, um, you, you know, there, because there's certain things they have to do. You know, there, there's not as much cover. I mean, Illinois, how much ag is out there? Oh, it's, it's ag it, everywhere. Yeah, it's it's the opposite of here. Right, exactly. If, if, guys, if you're in Illinois listening, just think of the opposite. Everywhere you've <laughs> yeah. got a cornfield. You've got wood. You've, you've, got, got, you've timber. got cutovers yeah. and, and planted pines. And then everywhere you've got woods, you've got these little small fields. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what we have here. So that's what we yeah. deal with. Um, you, you know, I will ambush one early, you know, on food. Yeah, you seem to do that pretty well. Yeah, early, right out the gate. When they're know, not, they're, com they're completely not re completely relaxed. I'll have all my cameras out by about the fifth of August on feed, mm -hmm. and whether that's a feed tree, those sawtooths start dropping the middle of uh, August. The muscadines are, are getting ripe, um, so so that's kind of what I focus on then, and. I'll have my cameras all out and, and man, it, a lot of times you'll have five evenings in a row at, at you know, right at dark, the buck hits every, in shooting light. And when that happens opening day, I am going to get right there and I, I will probably get downwind and, and because every single time a four year old is going to come in downwind to feed, he is going to loop downwind to feed and come in. So how far downwind do you think you'd get? Again, terrain tells terrain. you that. But yeah. In a perfect world, how far would you like to be downwind? Like, it, let's say he's got feed, bait pile, whatever it is. I know this is not a rule, but how far downwind do you think he's coming in? If it, if it's, you, that's what you're planning, right? Is how I got to get past where he's coming in. Right. If it, if it's an ambush, like a one and done <clears throat> ambush, I'm either going to kill him tonight or blow it up. Yeah. Then then I'm going to get about seventy yards from that from that pile downwind of it okay. or from that feed tree or from that muscadine flat or or vines mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gonna get 70 80 yards from that but but i've also got to know where he's coming from right yeah that's he, right he's gonna loop down wind but it depends on kind of where he's coming from and and what wind direction you've got but that that's an example of one and done it's an ambush he's he showed himself three, four times in, in an afternoon that he's, he's not afraid to daylight. You don't have any kind of crazy temperature change, you know, with those three days. And then you get in, you ambush him and you shoot him, you know, that afternoon mm -hmm. or you blow him up and then you're off to having to chase him during the rut. 
And if it's not a one and done, how far down are you? What Further. Do you mean? Well, you said if it's a one and done, you're oh, like oh, you're oh, going to oh, go oh. further yeah, downwind. Yeah, is what you're saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're going to so, play it safer. So yeah, yeah. If you if if he's if he's if he's getting there late, mm-hmm. right? If he's getting there late, that's that's a lot of problems that guys have is nocturnal bucks, right? They, oh my gosh, they, tell me about they, it. That's they all get I saw there, was, they get there late, they yeah. get there late, they get there late. Well, then you've got to backtrack and you got to find a chink in that armor, like where. How is he coming through through here? And you can you can find that with tracks. You can find that with rubs. Um, you can find it with scrapes on, on kind of how they're traveling to get to the food. And then you find an ambush point in there where you can get in and out. And again, you, if you can tighten that up a little bit, that that helps. And when's the best time to you know if you're trying to figure out travel patterns? Let's say you figure out okay, here's here's where they're coming. And then you're trying to figure out what their travel pattern is to get there. What's the best time to scout that? Is it right now? Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it, if you had the time, mm-hmm. I would say keep a pile running right now. That's what I was about to ask you. Is it, is it strategically, should you be running food right now? You, you absolutely Just to get can. them into a pattern. Well, well just somewhere. to see where they're coming from. Like, it, you know, I would drop a camera on that, on that corn, mm-hmm. but, but then I would, I would back way off with, with some other cameras. Just kind of semi-circle see, almost all the way around well, to see if you can pick well, up where they're coming you, from. Well, I mean, what? yeah, you look at the, again, the terrain and, mm-hmm. and, you know, if they're coming, if, if they're coming through that thicket or that peninsula, you know, drop some cameras in there on trails and then you'll see, a picture of him at, at 550 in the woods, and then the next picture will be on the corn at 615. Mm-hmm. And then you know, okay, th- that's how he's coming. That's how, that's how he's getting there. Yeah, that makes sense. And you can do that with, with oaks. You can do it with food plot. A lot to learn, man. It, it is. It is it's a and lot. you've been doing it for how long? 30, how old were you? Five Five years old is when you killed your first one. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And I'm I killed my first one at fifty five. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I um my dad was a fanatic. Yeah, I've heard you say that. Yeah, that he, he was he, just he was like you, right? He was an absolute fanatic ahead of his time, and I can remember waking up in the mornings, completely dark in a sleeping bag, and poking my head out, and it being daylight in the middle of the woods, not having a clue where I was about to go into sheer panic. And then a, a piece of candy would hit me in the top of the head. So he just carried you out there. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. He, he would get me out of, I mean, I'm talking three years old. Mm-hmm. He would get me out of the bed, put me in a sleeping bag, put me in the floorboard. He had this old Jeep drive out to where we're going. He'd pack me in, lay me down wrap me up in the sleeping bag, he'd climb up in the tree above it and he'd hunt until I got fussy or, or whatever. And um, I, I never will forget, he'd drop that candy on my head and I'd look up and he'd have this big smile and I'd have a big smile on my face. And That's, he, so, that's so cool. It, like, it, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's a good memory. Yeah, <laughs> That's really neat. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so I was lucky, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, and, and I fell in love with it right, right off the rip. And by 12, I was, I was off doing my thing. Yeah, that's that's so cool. So, what you do a lot of Q and A on your podcast. What's top two, three questions that you get asked over and over and over? Nocturnal deer is is got to be number one, and then for some reason I get asked a ton about broadheads and and heavy and light arrows. That and, seems to be like kind of this 
I know. That's a YouTube thing. It, it you know? really is. It's yeah. kind of like a lot of the big YouTube guys, I think, do that because they can create so much content off of it, and then it creates this conversation. Drama, drama, drama. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so that, yeah, nocturnal bucks is something I get asked a lot about, um, and then, then bow and, and arrow set up. I get asked that a lot. What's your answer to the nocturnal buck question? I think the bow and arrow setup is, this is just my personal opinion, but having been pretty new at it, but also being a complete nerd, like I'm a research like fanatic. Like my wife will tell you, like that I drive her insane, <laughs> but yeah, wait, you're not, you're the only one that drives her wife insane. I never do that. <laughs> but the, honestly, the technology out there is so good. I think it's preference. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. if you tell me, oh, a, a Hoyt is ten times better than a Matthews, or a Matthews, you know, the the new Matthews lift is you know ten times better than the new Hoyt. No, no, they're great bows. Like Prime makes great bows. Yeah. I mean, they all like. It's really like what, what do you like the draw cycle? You know, do you how does it fit you? Do you like the bow? Yep. Right. So technology, I think, and I'm with you. I I took. Your advice on the tripan, knowing nothing, but I asked Bert Soren, I'm like, what do you shoot? He goes, I shoot a Rage tripan. I said, can you tell me why? He goes, because Joe Miles shoots one. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, if Joe's shooting something, it's good. <laughs> well, um, yeah, Bert's got a ton of experience, and and I think even even um, John Dudley, you, you know, a guy that Bert does, he shoots does a lot. He, he shoots mm-hmm. a tripan. Joel Maxwell, um, big guy with um, Max Field. Maxwell, Joel Maxfield with Matthews. Yeah, um, he shoots tripans. Dave Holt shoots about 150 animals a year in Africa. He shoots a tripan. Um, it's a great head. The the G5 Mega Meats are, are. I'm really warming up to those. The devastation those things create. I wish they would just <clears throat> strengthen up those blades just a smidge, and they would have the best head on the market, in my opinion. They're just a little soft. Yeah, and, and it's because it's a three-blade expandable, mm-hmm. and it, to keep it at 100 grains, they have to make the blades a little bit thinner at the back. I got you. And they, and they bend, mm-hmm. you know, when they go in, which is not a terrible thing, um, but but I would love, you know, I, I would – I would encourage them to go 125 or even 150 grain, and it, it would be the baddest broadhead on the market. Well, I can, you know, having uh, I got one nice buck this year, and it was the first one I ever shot, and I used the tripan, and it's not like my first shot was 16 yards. It was a 34, 33 yard shot. Yeah, you know, through a skinny window in a, and that thing went exactly where I wanted it to, and it was devastation. It's like the blood trail that that left there was within five yards i was picking up tons of blood super and it was pitch black by the time i finally got out and because when i shot him he you know he took off for about 10 yards and then he walked down across the creek bed up the other side i saw him stand up i saw him lay down but it was dark and i couldn't really tell if he got up again so i let him i gave him about two hours and then but he was easy to try like it was brutal yeah oh yeah you know they're gr- great freaking bro. yeah and, and they're um they're strong of of I, I, at one time they had the thickest blades 0.039 thick blades and they had a titanium ferrule mm-hmm. so it was a really strong broadhead there may be some others now that have the 0.039 thickness blades um real sharp super accurate uh i've never had one not deploy or, or a braid blade come open in flight 
Uh, so, and they're quiet. You know, we've tested them with decibel readers, with uh, fixed blade heads and, and other mechanicals, and they're, they're a real quiet in-flight head. So, yeah, it's a, you can nerd out on this stuff, like, big time. And, and I'd like to do that. You know, I, I love to, you, you know, test it myself and just ask the why, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Not because so-and-so said so, but, but because it makes sense. And, and I've tested it and yeah. seen, seen what it does. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, they're great. I mean, and I, I think probably one of the best lessons I learned during the season last year, cause I, I kind of made this mistake being, being a guy who gets sucked into technology over analyzing everything and Dudley came out with that series of videos where it was like where he took three vein four vein few different weights at the front you know two degree offset or two degree helical one degree helical zero and he shot like all of them you know one after the other after the other from like 60 yards and they were like that yep and it was great for me because it was like Settling on something you feel good about and practice getting good at. It. That's that's Don't it. Quit, yeah. quit nerding out and thinking technology is going to make you better. Shoot, like make a good decision, but then shoot, shoot, shoot without yep. a doubt. And and I've I've come, uh, you know, not not full circle on it, but I was very anti heavy arrows, like the six hundred fifty grain arrows. Yeah. But after doing a ton of testing inside thirty yards, yeah, I it, mean, it, I get it, that. It doesn't matter. No, because you're not. They, I mean, the the momentum on them start to die down down range more. Well, well, you, you have a huge arc, right? You, you <clears throat> right. have you you start develop your trajectory is is if if you're a western guy, yeah, yeah, the six fifty sure. stuff. If you're shooting over, you know, really, in my opinion, over thirty yards, you need to look at that moderate weight arrow, the four fifty. You know, around that four fifty to five hundred grain is is where you should be for tra- trajectory, but you still have mm-hmm. plenty enough for penetration. Um, I, I have not seen uh, a significant amount of penetration difference between a 450 and a 650. What are you shooting? I shoot 470. Okay. Yeah, that- 470 grain arrow is what I shoot, and I shoot 74 pounds. And why do I shoot 74 pounds? I like to have my arrow shooting right at 300 feet per second. Because when it shoots 300 feet per second, I can use one pin from zero to 30. Mm. I sight it in at 26 yards, and it'll be about an inch high at five yards, and it'll be about a quarter of an inch low at 30 yards. So I'm in the kill zone from zero to 30, and it's, I don't have to – in most of as my shots – As long as you're shooting 300 feet per second. As long, or, or right, you know, 295 right yeah, or yeah. 305, right in that range. And, of course, you've got to test it yourself, mm. but – but but sight sighted in at at twenty six yards, and then you don't have to think about it anymore. You know, if you've got a deer at five yards, you you put it in the kill zone, and it's going to kill him. You got a deer at thirty yards, you put it in the kill zone, it's going to kill him. And, and you're you're right there. And, and, and most archery shots for whitetail are inside thirty yards, thirty yards and in. Um, so so that's one pin. You don't have to think about anything. You know, I hear a lot of times guys have twenty and thirty yard pins, and they miss deer at like 22, 23, 25 yards because they get confused on which which pin to use. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're just using one, you're going to smoke him. So you use a single pin sight? I have two because then I have a 40. A 40. A 40 if I need it, and then it's a adjustable. And then I've even got a cheat on the bubble that if he's at 50, I can put a part of the bubble on him that if I had to. Now, I've, I've shot one whitetail 
at 52 yards. I would say everything else has been definitely inside 40 and more like it inside 30. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the name of the game is getting close. I mean, that's why we bow hunt. Right. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to shoot one at 60 yards. You'd be shooting with a rifle, right? Right. I want to, I want to, I want to see the whites of his eyes. You know, I, I want to shoot him at 12, 12 yards. I shot one this year, um, at four steps in Kansas and I shot him quarter and two jugular shoulder spine junction into the front side lung and and he dropped in his tracks he was dead when the air hit him and that was that was i mean there's i don't know if you've seen that video but i mean it's he's right there four steps 160 inch nine point right on top and it was in a bobby worthington funnel it was tight had a big river bluff behind me it was nice Well, I, I'd love to ask you. I'll do it next time about the the nocturnal bucks, but I know you've got to get something you got to get to. So, um, listen, man, I appreciate you coming out uh, again. The gear is amazing. Thank and, you. And there's a lot of amazing gear out there. So I'm, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not saying other gear isn't good, but just I think the thought process. What I see with the other stuff is it's mostly Western hunting companies who are adapting to whitetail. Yep. where you're a whitetail guy, like you said, <laughs> from the time you were three years old <laughs> in a sleeping bag in the middle of the woods, and you developed this specifically for whitetail hunting, yeah. which is, you know, that, I think that makes it different um, just all the way down to stuff like the collar, you know, and, and understanding like when you draw the, draw the bow back, having a specific kind of collar that can interfere yep. with that when you're up in a tree or you're shooting from close quarters and you're not, you know, able to stand there. Perfect form. You know, yeah. perfect form and, and shoot at 60 yards. So um, I've loved running it. It's been amazing stuff. And it was awesome to kill my first one. In, yeah, in well, congratulations. Hospital. That was a beautiful <laughs> buck, man. That's a way to get started. Yeah. Now, as I say, now, now that I said, hope you're not disappointed with the next one you kill. But honestly, <laughs> I, I won't be. I, I'm, I think I'm just, I love, like, I just love it. Yeah, yeah, I do too. You know, it's just I, I awesome. shoot shoot them here in South Carolina, and they score 115. And then you shoot a 170 out in Kansas or whatever. I I, I love it. Yeah. I love hunting the mature ones and and the and the challenge of it. And it doesn't matter where they are; it's all relative. And you know, you'll get a couple under your belt next year in South Carolina, and we'll yep. be good to go. Yeah. No, it's it's really really awesome. It's uh, picking it up at 55 has been challenging, but. I think that's what I love about it is when I decided to stop coaching, it was like, I need something different. And just having a completely new challenge in my life where I'm learning everything from scratch has been an amazing experience. And the brotherhood, the community with, with it, like you and Bert and the guys who have just open armed helped me and been available to me has been like the people I've gotten tied into, it's like such a blessing. It's really, really cool. No, it is a great community, and it it is the 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 challenging, the challenge part of it's incredible, and it brings the best out in you. It does. It it, it makes you concentrate. It makes you be good at shooting. It 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 gives you lots of purpose, and and it makes you be better at something, or yeah. or, you, or you're gonna not be successful. No. So so that's why I, I'm in love with it. Yep. That's why I'm in love with it too. Well, I would recommend to anyone who, you know, whether you've been doing it for a long time or whether you're young in, in the game like me, the Mission Whitetail podcast is amazing because you guys really get into the nitty-gritty on strategy. Check out the uh, the Osteo Gear uh, stuff when you get a chance. It's osteogear.com, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, 
appreciate you being here, brother. No, and man, I appreciate you. you and everything you've done no, for me. No, thank you. I appreciate what you're doing. And, uh, yeah, thanks you. thank you very much. Thanks, man. All right, buddy.